Look at me. I'm not the smartest guy in the no, Australia. We don't break each other down here. We lift nope. each other up. That is man. so not true. You dummy. <laughs> I know the cameras are on, but you guys were busting me as soon as I it's sat It's hard down. to know who said what or, I mean, <laughs> it's hearsay. Well, yeah. So this segment of DOD TV is brought to you by Leopold, American to the core. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast, powered by DeerCast, episode number 199. And you didn't stop. You just knocked off Austin Land's hat, clear to the ground, never stopped. Shots fired. We were talking. Okay, so first of all, you're Tim Chelswick. I'm Matt Drury. We got Austin, Austin Land. Land but, but from here on out, you guys can refer to me as Dragon. 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 All right. Well, that's going to screw up the whole title for the show. The title for the show was It's All About Land. Well, and it was going to trick people into thinking we we're talking about land management. Uh, no, I think it'd be even better if it was all about dragon. <laughs> people would be like, what? <laughs> we're reformatting the show. Yeah. We're going to talk about uh, cryptozoology. So we were, we were talking off camera here and... I said, now, Austin, you better be ready to get with it here. And he goes, from here on out, call me Dragon. He said it dead-faced. Yeah. And uh, Tim, what'd you say? I want to be called Ramjet. All right. I said, that's all right. That's cool. I'm Cat Fury because <laughs> Matt Drury, get it? That's just <laughs> yeah. how we roll. That's how we roll. Mine's not cool. <laughs> it, well, it just concerns me that we all had nicknames on the tip of our, of our tongue ready to roll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That, that was actually, what do they call that when you like write under a, a different name? Pseudonym? That was my pseudonym in college, Man. Cat Fury. <laughs> On basically like message boards and stuff like that. A lot of havoc was wreaked. By Man. Matt Fury. Cat Light, Fury. Lighting people up on Missouri bow hunters. Yeah. and No, 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 no. <laughs> Nothing to do with hunting. I wasn't Uh-oh. into that okay. in college. It was more <laughs> recreational activities. Okay. Like cycling and <laughs> something like that. RC helicopters. <laughs> we'll just go with that. Yeah, yeah let's so, do it. We're excited to have Austin on with us. Um, it's one of those guests like having Wade on or I feel like the audience has been wanting us to get him on. And during the season, you're so freaking busy between guiding out west, you know, for elk and mule deer and animals antelope and then coming to texas and guiding there once your kind of season out west is over you basically don't stop until february yeah so yeah. we never get austin and then he gets back into turkey like right out what what march april yeah, end of march first april yeah. yeah so we had a short window taylor and austin are in town here mm-hmm. for a few days we had a shoot that we just did and had a uh, thing over our first farm this past weekend so we got thought butts kicked while we got austin in town let's get him on the podcast well, let's do this. Thanks for having me on, guys. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. We typically, when we have guests on, they start talking about difficult or embarrassing hygiene issues they had in junior high. So we'll let's just open yours. the floor and let you. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll, I'll open it right up. I'll be vulnerable. Um, my brothers used to call me RC for rotten chicken because I had terrible BO when I was a kid. <laughs> Boy, this got real. You didn't have to do that, but thank you. <laughs> I'm not worried about it. I think we just became best friends. Perfect. Oh, you were rotten chicken as well. <laughs> well, chili hot dogs. Okay. Yeah. Moving along. <laughs> <laughs> people people listen to this show. Couple anyway. Surprisingly. And every now and again they give us feedback on this show. <laughs> so all right, let's so hop into it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in right now. This this guy, Paul Anier, he says, I'm loving all the stepbrother quotes in the podcast. Hold it. I got one. Did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
Now, it's hilarious when a guest doesn't get them. Ha ha. Now, I didn't understand that part because I feel like all of our guests get a good stepbrother's quote. Sometimes if you watch closely the reaction of our guests when we say things, sometimes they just smile awkwardly like they're not quite uh, sure what exactly I get show a lot of teeth and just try to uh, grin and get through it because they don't know is it are they stupid why or is that really funny like what should i do here why did i agree to do this exactly <laughs> this seems like a giant waste well, of time here's the deal so i can get just about any guest in our industry that i want to get because of the good name that mark and terry have built for Drury outdoors <laughs> once we get him on the podcast we try to break it down a notch or two yeah. to our dumb stepbrother's humor. <laughs> and most people, I think, internally are thinking, where's Mark and Terry? Yeah, like, who I, I who thought, are these guys? <laughs> I thought the Jury Brothers were on this podcast. <laughs> I've been that's hoodwinked. What you, that's what you get for not doing your homework. <laughs> in, in your face, guests. So that'll Esteemed teach you for hopping on. CEO. <laughs> yeah, poor Bruce Pettit. <laughs> He's like a real guest. Um, and then Cameron Dowd is a major podcaster, and he uh, commented on DeerCast regarding our Analogics podcast. He says, nailed it again, guys. Love the info and how good you are managing the herd. I assume he's talking about me. It's too bad. It's not legal in Illinois, but we do the best we can with what we can. It's sad that it's not legal to try to improve your deer herd. It is. You know, that was one of the takeaways uh, that I saw just kind of looking over some of the comments from podcasts, whether it was on DeerCast or on YouTube or whatever. A few are quite a few people were saying like, yeah, it's a shame that we can't do it. I think PA was another one of those states mm -hmm. that somebody said that. I was like, I knew Illinois couldn't, but man, I mean- it does seem really counterintuitive. I get the whole CWD approach that I get why they say that. I don't necessarily agree with it or understand it, but uh, it just seems odd to me that you can't try to improve your herd or your health, especially over like the last couple of weeks when it was so cold, like sub-zero temps for right. long extended periods, a bunch of snow. Like, I mean- don't you want the resource to have the best chance it can at surviving? That's kind of the way I look at it. me or is that rhetorical? That's rhetorical, Tim. Gotcha. Gotcha. Just, just Spell just rhetorical. Smile with big teeth and nod. Uh, yes, uh, I would. Yes. <laughs> All right. It seems like some of these states, I don't want to get political here, but their but I'm COVID regulations mirror their deer management practices. So the deer, you're telling me the deer have to wear masks? <laughs> That's actually, can you imagine how little, they couldn't spread CWD. How little CWD would spread right. if they, I got some. Write here. it down, write that down, and I want credit. Masks <laughs> for deer. Deer. Boom. Spell four with add a, a number add four. A boom at the end okay. with an exclamation Legion point. of. There you go. So Underline. Austin, this is the podcast. Sorry. Well, I'm very interested already. You guys are great together. You guys are uh Really Peanut bouncing butter back and, and forth, maybe try and include me a little bit more opposed to looking at each other. Well, okay. How about so, that? <laughs> you so, want in? Now yeah, you're in. Perfect. <laughs> to tease the question of the day a little later in the show, we've got a question that's that's teed up directly for you because it's talking about a guy that wants to transition his whitetail hunting tactics. I'd like to know what this last name of this guy is because his first name is mine and his hometown is mine. So, and this is not my question. So I look for, unless it is, I don't know. <laughs> Did you that, record it? That's a tease. Hello, this is Cat Drury. Love <laughs> no, the show, guys. No, Cat, Cat Fury. Cat Fury. I'm furious. <laughs> That's not a crappy nickname. Take it back. <laughs> You're going to get cat breath. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, Austin. I'm going to 
tear up your <laughs> sheets and poop in your pillow. <laughs> Jeez. All right, Austin, this I'm, is it. All right, let's hear the yeah. question. <laughs> no, 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 we haven't got to that yet. That's later in the show. Oh, don't no. you listen to the podcast? <laughs> I do listen to the podcast, but I feel like... I don't believe you. <laughs> That's rude. Well, <laughs> and true. And true. You sounded surprised by the soundboard. I mean... <laughs> I, I'm curious what it's like to have Mark Drury as a father-in-law. It's a double-edged sword. It's... We're going Shots right there. God's fired. <laughs> That's right. You know, he's he's relentless in the fact that he'll always stay on you. He's always finding your vulnerable spots. But I've never he's noticed also, that. He's also going to pick you up and help you any way he can. So it's been it's been a true blessing to have Mark as a father-in-law. Yeah. Um, and he, he's pushed me to go do things that I never thought I would. I always thought marry I was going to his be, daughter. Marry his daughter, yep. <laughs> with with a no return policy. That yeah. uh, was right on the receipt the day of the wedding. Um, <laughs> but I always thought I was going to be a guide my whole life, you know, mm-hmm. and, and through the last five years, it's slowly grown into, yes, I've still stayed in the outdoors, but my, my resume is starting to grow into something bigger and better than ever. And I owe a lot of that to Mark. Sweet. So, so why did you think that you would be a guide the rest of your life? Just what I what I know, what I love to do, and uh-huh. I mean, look at me. I'm not the smartest guy in the no. Austin, hey. We don't break each other down here. We lift nope. each other up. That is man. so not true, you dummy. <laughs> I know the cameras are on, but you guys were busting me as soon as I it's sat. It's hard down. to know who said what, or I mean, <laughs> it's hearsay. Well, yeah. so I, I mean, for those that may not already know this, which I'm sure probably would be a small percentage, but Austin's family owns and operates a guide service in the state of Utah, and then you also do some stuff in Texas, and Correct. you had done some stuff in Oklahoma, and uh, it's a it's a major operation. Maybe take us a little bit into what you guys do there. And kind of the resources that you're managing, and 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 a little bit of the backstory there to the family business. Okay, yeah. So Dad started Wild Country Outfitters in Utah um, in '91, so the year prior to me being born. Um, so I was kind of born and raised into that mm. that world. Um, and he manages. It started out then about 200,000 acres, and now it's up to about 237,000 acres in the state of Utah. Wow. And I got three brothers that are in the family business and it's very fair in mom's saying, you know, (laughs) everybody gets an equal amount of what you bring into the business. And so what I tried to do is then expand over to Texas just to kind of keep growing the business Mm -hmm. and, and basically that that word dad kept telling me expand 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 that's what we do we want to always stay at the top of our game and he's always pushed that whether it's you know harvesting the best quality animals or when people show up they have the best experience it's not always about the destination it's about the journey that's yeah. what he preaches all the time um but we we've got to the point where we harvest roughly 750 to 800 animals a year in the state Jeez. of Utah and then another 100 or so down in the state of Texas and that's you know that the resource it's unbelievable there in utah i've not been to the texas spot but it's so beautiful everywhere you go i mean it's truly untouched especially when you're talking that many acres i mean it is truly an untouched habitat and you guys got to work really hard to make sure that you're managing the resource that you do some stuff with uh, i guess the state does some stuff with the public where correct they have a chance to to uh draw a tag right, and right. you take so many public land hunters as well. Is that correct? Yep. So we're part of a CWMU, a cooperative wildlife management unit. And so 
being said with that is we get our 90 day elk season and our 70 day um, deer season, and that's any legal weapon. But in return, we then have to give public opportunity. So we're given 10% of our tags each year back to a state draw, and then they get the same opportunities the paid clients get. Huh. We, we bring them in, they stay in our lodges, we Jeez. feed them, we guide them, we do the whole nine yards with them. So. That's pretty cool. That's got to be like hitting a jackpot no for, for somebody because it's it's a, obviously it's a it's the way that you guys run your outfitter is a little bit different from say you know going to the state of Missouri going to a whitetail um, um, outfitter. It's you guys will have like a business will come in or a client will come in and they'll they'll purchase X amount of tags, kind of like a kind of like a club almost, right? Exactly, exactly like a club. So they're buying into a corporate lease package or a membership. And they're very rarely does anybody that's buying the tags actually hunt it. They're bringing in their customers, their clients, the people that they want to say thanks to. And that's where we come in. We got to make sure that we're taking care of their people that are paying lots of money. That's our job to take care of the guys that are spending money with our partners. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty phenomenal. I mean, it's just, and they do, they took, take great care of you. The lodge is awesome. It's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it's, a, you're driving for a ways to get up into the mountain and get where the lodge is, but mm-hmm. the scenery, I, I mean, everything we, the first night, cause I had a chance to go a couple of years ago, I think it was back in 2017 or so. Mm-hmm. And Bruce Pettit from Leopold had invited me. We talked about it on the podcast. Well, when we went <clears throat> that first day, Austin Mickles, he took uh, Trevor and I up and we went and just kind of get acclimated with the train. And, you know, it was just like everywhere you heard there was a bugle and it was another herd. And it was just so cool. It was one of the coolest moments of my life going to the, going to there. What's the elevation like out there? Like is a Midwestern guy going to have to acclimate? Yes, you'll have to acclimate. Our lodge sits about 7,200 feet. Mm. Um, when you're deer hunting, antelope hunting, you're anywhere from five to 6,500 feet, and you can elk hunt up to, I think there was times you were up close to 9,000 feet. Yeah. Uh, we don't have super high country stuff, so it's not going to, you're not going to get above 10,000 feet. Even when I get above 10,000 feet, there's times that I feel the altitude. Mm-hmm. Um, but it usually takes everybody a, a day or two to of walking okay. around, and you just you take it easy the first couple of days, get your lungs and your mind acclimated. And and once you get going, there's so many elk bugling everywhere. Yeah. You kind of just forget about your lungs hurting, and you just keep sure. going. Yeah, that focus. first first night, I woke up with a headache for sure. Woke up with a headache in the middle of the night and kind of nauseous feeling, and and just couldn't get over it until mm-hmm. like into the next day in the hunt and kind of you're moving around and getting used to it. But for sure, it hit me that first like right out of the gate that night. Okay. But it really wasn't that. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going right. to be. Well, I mean, you stay hydrated. That's the biggest key. You know, hydrate. It's just like doing anything that's going to exert your body. Hydrate the day before. Stay hydrated while you're doing it. Yeah. Eat pasta. Eat lots of pasta. And that's one thing our cooks don't. They they don't cut out any carbs for the three meals. It's five star. It is awesome. Yeah. But you probably burn off most of it because you're out there. Yeah. uh, that was the thing. So they they put me with their oldest guide. I had, I had like five days heads up before I went on the trip. So there oh. was no training. There was no, you know what I mean? Getting ready yeah. for it. And they put me with ammo. This guy is awesome. I mean, this he was... Uh, old uh, rodeo guy. So was he a yep. so he, rodeo clown? He was a, a bull rider for a while. Then he was a bullfighter for a little while. Jeez. He's still in the, the forest service as a firefighter. Um, big, and now he raises bulls. But yeah, he he looks the part, don't he? With big the big old, bar mustache. And, and he, I don't know how, what his age, but he 
he seems like maybe he was older than his actual driver's license set, or I don't, I don't know. Like that's the the mentality. I was like, this guy, I don't know. Like this kind of like it's going not about the year of the truck; it's the miles on the truck. He's had some miles, and he could out he could outwork now. anybody. I mean, it was all he was awesome. Yep. He was really it was it was entertainment the whole time. Oh yeah, yeah. So. I've known Amos since I could remember life he's been working for dad for 30 years and, now and did he have a competing guide service there back in the day Is so that how yep I- so when when they first started the ranch had an outfit and then dad had his outfit and then bucks and bulls was also a part of that outfit as well so there was three different outfits on the property and then in 2011 that back then they just sold individual tags to mm-hmm. whoever whoever wanted to buy a tag could come hunt they bought tags and they killed tons more animals too. And, and age structure didn't matter. I mean, if it was 180 inch three-year-old, they were going to shoot it if they liked it. Um, and finally the ranch came and said, Hey, this is what we want. We want corporate leases. We want you to start managing for this, this age structure. And that's when the ranch pulled out with their outfitting business and they offered it to dad and the other guys. And the other guys said, there's no, there's no way that's going to work. That's not our gig. We're out. And so then they turned to dad and said, well, do you want the whole thing? And he said, why not? Let's do this. So awesome. Yeah. That was back in 2011. And you guys have a a really good clientele too, that you've built up and and some leases come and go and, you know, partners come and go, but you always have a stable of really high quality people from the industry and even outside of our industry. I mean, you know, some of the other areas that you play within, you know, whether it's the oil world or trucking or whatever the case may be, it's amazing the clientele that you guys have. Yep. And and the turnover rate, it's always going to be there just like anything. Um, But we have, we've created that core group of of, of partners that make the world go around and make our, our operation tick. And it's, mm-hmm. it's that family based foundation that every company needs to, to be solid. So yeah, it's sure. been good. I, I'm always curious <clears throat> because you're, you're with, like when you personally guide someone, you're with them for a good chunk of time. They've got a lethal weapon in their hand. You're in remote settings uh, what are some of the weirds, the weird things that you've seen people do or or behave? I probably can't what, say much of that. You on. guys <laughs> don't allow the hunter to actually rack around until it's the moment of truth. I mean, they have Correct, some yeah. pretty strict policies around mm-hmm. that to ensure safety and maybe dive into that. Yeah. So when we when we get in the trucks, muzzles are down, chambers are open. You know, there's there's nothing going. We we can put bullets in the magazine because when you're deer hunting, you never know when you're come across something that's close to the road and you got to get out and you don't have time to fumble around and, yeah. and load your magazine, but you always have time to load your chamber. And if you don't have time, probably 10, 15 minutes later, you'll probably have another opportunity and you will have time. So there's, that's our biggest thing is if you don't have time to, to load your gun, it wasn't meant to be and just keep hunting. So that's our biggest thing is we, we never have a, a round in the chamber until we're sat down there in front of us. We're pointing at the correct animal. Mm-hmm. And then we say, go ahead, yeah. load around. It was like three or four days until my first opportunity. And one, one ammo was like, all right, get ready. I was like, Oh, <laughs> 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 we're not going to do something. <laughs> actually going to shoot something. <laughs> you know, I was like, it, but 
we had so many opportunities leading up to that. It was just wasn't part of the age class or, you know, they right. were very specific sure. in their management. It's like hunting at Marks or Terry's or they're very specific in what they were going after, which is why the resource is so good. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that was the thing that stuck, stood out to me so much. If someone's never hired and never used an outfitter before, <clears throat> like how, how would they, how do they get the most out of you? in terms of, um, the, the, the total experience. Cause you always hear like, don't guide the guide. What are the things people should avoid doing? Don't guide the guide. <laughs> no, that's, it's our job, um, to have that killer instinct for the hunter and, and some hunters come in and they have it and mm-hmm. some don't, but that's in the moment of truth, every situation's so different. And, <laughs> Me being in that, those positions all the time, I may have not been in that particular position before, but I know how to react to some of those situations yeah. to where maybe a deer stands up and he's not in the right spot. Some guy might draw back all of a sudden and he'll look at you and the deer will look at you and they blow out. You know, you got to make sure it's okay. He's in a spot that I can kill him. Now I'll draw or his head's behind him. But just like you guys are in a tree or in a blind, you know, you're not going to draw when the deer is head up alert. Right. And that's the biggest thing is trusting your guide. Um, there's going to be times you can question your guide and say, well, should we do this? Because we're such in a routine that we might overlook and we might be tunnel vision on this, this elk over here. And all of a sudden two or three pop over there. So just always stay in their hip pockets. Um, never separate yourself from the guides. And that's our job too, is never separate ourselves from the hunters because we can't (laughs) kill the animal without you guys. Mm -hmm. You guys could kill animal without us, but it might be the wrong animal. So always stay right next to your guy. Never let that separation happen. Always stay in their back pocket. And you, I mean, realistically, you are right there. The word guide is the perfect word for this because you're right there almost hand in hand the whole way, you know, and if the hunter is getting tired, all right, you know, kind of sit back, take a break. You got to know, I guess when you're got, you're pushing your guy too far as well, because some of the terrain, especially that you and like your brothers are, you're all really, you know, in good shape and you're going in and out of some really kind of tough terrain, right? you got to know, I guess, when you're pushing your guy too much too. I mean, do you ever find that where you're like, yeah, you know, you kind of sense it and it's like, all right, maybe, maybe we sit tight and we glass for a minute here. Absolutely. Yeah. There's times it's like, okay, let's just hold up here. We'll, we'll snack, we'll fuel up, we'll drink some water. But there's also times where you, you got to know your hunter, you know, is this guy really mentally tough to where we have to go and keep going. That's, Mm -hmm. that, that's the way we're going to get the opportunity or, okay, if I keep going, we're going to kill this guy. And if we do get an opportunity, he's going to be so shot. He's not going to be able to function at full performance. So you, you just got to know your hunter. And there is times we're going to take breaks, but there's also times I'm going to be holding you by your front collar, pulling you up the hill saying, we got to go. We got to go. Yeah. Yeah. To, to prepare for something like this, what's your, you know, what, what would your, uh, you would tell somebody like, Hey, okay. You, in the weeks or months leading into the hunt, you know, do this amount of miles a day or this kind of incline or ruck, you know, with so much on your pack, like, or do, do you guys kind of have something that you send out to your client ahead of time and say, this is what to be prepared for? Not really. I wish we did. Um, we'll get with but, it. but there's, there's really to, 
there, there's no way to get into elk shape besides chasing elk because, I mean, most people are coming from the Midwest or the East where they don't have mountains. They're not going to be able to go throw a pack on and get up to 7,000 feet and hike. Um, they have come out with those masks that restrict you from breathing, that cut your airflow off. There, that, that would be a good thing to do. Um, and then just walk, you know, be physically active because you're going to get tested. Um, and that, that's the biggest thing. Maybe do some HIIT workouts, you know, high intensity stuff to where your heart's going and then pick up your bow or pick up your rifle and shoot. You know, if you're sitting at the gun range, mm -hmm. do 10 pushups or 20 pushups and then get up, hurry and make a quick shot just so you're prepared. My heart's already going. You're, you can't practice that adrenaline, but you can practice the heartbeat going yeah. and, and quick situations and, yeah. and force yourself to be prepared. Yeah. That has to be maddening to go out West, you know, on the hunt of a lifetime and then just not have enough gas in the tank to do it. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's all in the person, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. like you had five days to prepare. So that's, that's obviously that was kind of like, Hey, you're going out West. Yeah. Um, most of these people know by springtime if they're coming. Sure. Um, sure. So yeah, just get out and get prepared. But almost all outfitters in a good economy like it is right now, we're booked up by January, February. And so, you know, seven, eight months beforehand when you're going. So just, just get out and prepare yourself. So, you know, you, you've had a chance to guide some really interesting people and some celebrities and, you know, and from Hollywood to, you know, to the sports world, to, you know, industry people, what, what was, some of the coolest things that are coolest people you've been able to meet over the years. Um, Bruce Pettit was one of them. I mean, he was a very interesting person to meet. I had never met Bruce. His first time actually was with us in Oklahoma and Bruce is very intense. And so I like that, you know, when you get out hunting, you get it. I, I'm an intense hunter too. Yeah. And Mark can attest to that. When we hunted together, he could tell, he could sense my intensity a couple of times. Getting testy. Getting a little testy. <laughs> um, but I also love hunting with people and kids that had never hunted before, mm, sure. you know, to, to share that experience with them, to, to teach them. It's not often that I know more than somebody. And when it's a amateur hunter or somebody that's never hunted before, it's always fun to, to teach them what I've learned over the years. Um, but I, I'd have to say some of my funnest hunters are always the people that have never hunted before. That's the, cool. the green people mm. are the funnest to hunt with. So, Sweet. so easiest, as far as easiest to teach a uh, child, a uh, female, a uh, guy. I mean, I've, I kind of have my notion behind what the easiest might be, but what yeah, female, female, that's what I've always heard. Best shots as well. Yeah. Yeah. Kids can, they just mentally, sometimes they check out. Yeah. Um, females always want to be perfectionists and, and Never adults noticed. and me being younger you know, and especially when I first started, when I was 19, I had zero respect from older guys. When I tough. would tell them something to do, they'd be like, who's this kid telling me what <laughs> yeah. to do? You know, so that, the long hair, <laughs> it was, it was probably the long hair. I started with short hair. Oh, I just okay. grew it out. Yeah. I had to fit the part. I couldn't grow a facial hair like Amos. So I had to grow my hair. Out. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> guys in general, like we're just bad about asking for directions, listening. asking for help, listening. Yeah. Cause it's also like, you got to swallow your pride a little bit. Like you got to be open and humble enough to recognize, well, this guy lives and breathes this yeah. stuff. So I might as well learn from his experience, but that, you know, that's not an easy thing to do for yeah. guys. Yeah. Much yeah. easier said than done. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's especially in the hunting world. Like the last thing someone that 
is a hunter wants is advice or tips sure. or whatever. I think one of the funnest things out of, at, at your place was hitting the range. Like they, how long is that range you guys have? 1700 yards is our furthest. Wow. Like I've never been able to go somewhere and shoot past a couple hundred <laughs> realistically, you know, yeah. we're always at the farm or whatever. So that was really interesting to me to be able to, you know, shoot something. And then like a second later, you know, boom, you'd hear, hear it. How does that translate into my and uh, like? Is it a mile? Is a mile is what seventeen fifty six or something like that. Yeah, something like that. I don't, I don't know exactly what it is. Speaking of guys, but it's, like it, it's somewhere right around there. So that's about a mile. Um, and Dang. we just we just set up a new. Fun. range. It was fun. So we set up a new range that's down kind of by the fish ponds. I don't know if you ever went down out uh-uh. east down there, um, but it's more in the flat country, and you can shoot anywhere from a hundred, two hundred, three hundred. Every hundred yards, it goes out all the way to seventeen hundred yards now. That's cool. Yeah, it was neat because they had, you know, like, I guess maybe every once in a while you guys go and repaint the mm-hmm. the metal mm-hmm. or whatever. Yep. And so when you hit it, not only would you, you'd hear it, but then you'd see, you know, because we filmed all that, you'd be uh-huh. able to see something kind of like, that's cool. You know, happen when you hit it. Off, yeah, yeah, it was, it was neat. It was a neat experience. Yeah. And, and, and just the shooting aspect, like you said, it's fun to go listen to the gong ring. Yeah. You know, and ring the gong, ring the gong. Love to. I, I noticed in you your, would. in your, <laughs> do it. Where's that noise? Uh, I don't have it. Uh, the rim shot. Um, we, uh, I, I, in your social, I see every now and again, fly fishing pictures. Right. I'm a fly fisherman and the trout you guys have out there look nuts. So rainbows. You know, we got rainbows in our ponds and then in all of our streams, it's native cutthroats. Wow. Yeah. And then we have any we, browns. We don't have any browns. No. Okay. Um, so we have 13 miles of stream, which is high country mountain streams that mm-hmm. have all the cutthroats in them. And then we have a couple ponds that way back before I was around, they, they went and dug these ponds into these streams to where they had big beaver dams, if you will. Sure. And, uh, that there's big native cutthroats in there. Those are fun. And not many people get to hunt them because they're right in the center of, we have 42,000 acres of roadless. Uh-huh. Um, and that's where we do the majority of our elk hunting. So dad doesn't want people walking around fishing, putting our scent Yikes. all over the place. So that's honey holes. The, the honey hole that, you know, I, I maybe fish. I've taken Taylor there once. I've been there probably three or four times to fish it. So it's, it's pretty <sighs> magical. Yeah, it, it is. It's fun. Oh, um, and then we do have our big ponds that, you know, we'll do our guided trips and that kind of stuff on it. We, we've been putting windmill aerators on there, trying to keep those fish to hold over for the years. Just sure. the ice is, is crushing them and suffocating them through the winter. Yeah. But uh, this winter hasn't been bad. It's been pretty mild out there, you know, and those windmills sit there and pump oxygen through the water and they okay. keep a hole, maybe 10 by 10 in diameter nice. around open. So. Well, how about we help our uh, our buddy Matt from Bloomsdale with uh, this week's question of the day? Yeah, let's jump into it. So the question of the day is brought to you by Tenzing Packs. Go further, hunt longer, Tenzing. Hi, my name is Matt Herman from Bloomsdale, Missouri. And my question is, is I'm getting ready to, I'm planning a hunt for a do-it-yourself archery hunt in Colorado this year. I'm putting in for a mule deer tag, but if I don't get a mule deer tag, then I'll buy an elk tag. Uh, my big question is, is, is there any major things to look for? I know you guys are big whitetail hunters and stuff, but I'm trying to figure out what to look for. Can I use the same strategies that I use for hunting whitetails here in Bloomsdale? 
and these rolling hills and stuff, can I incorporate what I know from whitetail into elk? I know they're a lot different deer and stuff, but like, you know, their trail patterns and stuff like that. I didn't know if, if I, if I could relate to whitetail with them. Uh, thanks. Bye. So it was an actual Matt. It was an actual Matt. I don't know him. <laughs> Let's see if I can get his last name. Please do. Maybe I probably the family. There's only 400 people in that town. Yeah, it's a pretty small place. Probably. So we were just there yesterday. It's yeah, that's sure. right. That's right. Um, it's a question I've wondered about, like how much transference is there between whitetail hunting and then heading out West for elk? Actually, they're very similar. Um, other than once they start rutting, they're getting a harem of cows opposed to locking down with one. Mm. Um, but you do, you all of a sudden, like, especially early in the season, you'll see a bull grab a cow and they disappear. You know, there's still 10 bulls and 50 cows in the meadow, but the big bull, the mature bull, whether he's the biggest racked or not, the most mature bull is going to go grab one cow when she goes into heat and he's going to take her off. Um, one thing I've noticed that's translated into, um, Elk from whitetail is their rubs and their scrapes. Very similar. Elk will go, Mm -hmm. it's almost like a dusting. They'll get into a big dust bowl and start rubbing their antlers all over in it and Mm -hmm. flinging dirt around. Um, Also with their, with their rubs on the antlers or on the trees, they, they hit the same ones very frequently. You know, so if you can figure out a bull, he's living in one big canyon, you can almost find a scrape line, if you will. You know, they, they mm-hmm. like to hit the same rubs. They're always proving their dominance, you know, and the, it, it takes till about the middle of September for them to really kick out all the satellite bulls from their area. So early on, it's, it's a bull parade, you know, they're, they're all hitting those same rubs, those same dust holes, you know, they're going through. So it, it does translate whitetail and elk kind of have the same, um, okay. You know, they they do the same things, really. Now, does it translate in a sense of, I know you could like set up over a water hole, per se, and sit and wait. But, you know, does it translate in the fact that you could set up a tree stand on that scrape line and and kind of hunt whitetail, Midwest whitetail style? Absolutely. You guys do much of that? or I do a lot of it. Amo does a lot. I'm sure you sat a lot with Amo in a couple spots. It's because yeah. he knows. He knows those bulls like that path. They use that path from whether it's bedding to water or going to rubs or whatever it is. If you can find their bed, <clears throat> you can find their water and their food source. It's it's very similar to whitetails, absolutely. Hmm. That's interesting because I've always just assumed because typically what you see is people chasing, you know, calling, chasing elk. And I wonder how many guys go out West just with that mindset only like, I got to leave all my, my, you know, the whitetail stuff. It's a different game. I got to do this new thing. More turkey hunting style. Yeah, exactly. And and maybe just use the wrong tactics because they think they got to leave all their whitetail tactics. It's it's how you want to hunt too. You know, it's, it's really fun to go chase bugling bulls, but it's also very hard. You know, they're, they're, doing their thing. They're moving around. You're Mm -hmm. trying to keep up. As soon as you get behind a herd, kiss them goodbye. You're not going to catch back up to them. Just because they cover too much ground. They cover way too much ground. And and there's so many elk in a herd as you're trying to sneak in and get to that herd bull, you can't get past. You're you're always calling in the satellites or or you're getting busted by cows. Um, So it's how you want to hunt them. And I know a lot of very successful people that hunt tree stands or hunt wallows out of little ground blinds that they mm-hmm. built. I mean, some of the biggest bulls in Utah every year get killed sitting in a tree stand or sitting in a ground blind. I like that. Are satellite bulls, are any of them mature? Or they Absolutely. All? Okay. Yep. yep. It just depends on, on the area. Um, 
and, and the density of the herds. You know, if you have a high density herd, there's going to be five or six mature big bulls in the herd. Okay. Um, there's just going to be one. There's always that one dominant bull that wins that, that won the fight that day. And he's running the cows and those other bulls are trying to get in back to him. And that's when you can capitalize and kill a big satellite bull. Is you slip gotcha. in, throw in a couple of cow calls and, and pull them away. And from for someone that may not know, what is the job of the satellite bull? Because you always hear that. The satellite bull is out there. It's first or usually, right? It's like leading. Or or in the back, they're just, they're, they're like a satellite I'm in orbit. You know, they're just orbiting around everything and they're not right in the core of the herd. Um, so basically the satellite bull is just trying, he's trying to be the alpha, mm-hmm. you know, he wants to get in and be the dominant bull, but he, he just can't. The dominant bulls already kicked him off and story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's the average age of bull that you guys end up? Eight and a half. Yeah. Is our average bull. And, and what's some of the oldest that you guys? Oh, 17, 18 oh, years old. Yeah. There's been some cows we've killed that we've guessed to be in their 20s. It's crazy. Yeah, they they live a long time. That's a long, especially when you consider how rugged that country is to live for 17, 18, 19 years. There's a lot of resources out there, though, it seems like to me, for them to be able to survive. A lot of, you know, what they graze on and the food source, it's all untouched habitat. And then you guys do a lot of improvement to that habitat, right. don't you? And, and the ranch we're on is a big cattle ranch, um, but we work together in a sense of rotating the cattle, obviously, so we don't overgraze all to kind of fit for the deer and the elk. Um, and then we do, we feed during hard winters, we'll go out and feed alfalfa and oats and hay grass. Um, and then the summertime, we're putting tons of mineral out, making sure as soon as they're dropping calves, the cows can get on that mineral and, and sure. build back up. So. Okay. Amazing. What would be one misnomer maybe that people think about going out west or going on an elk hunt or mule deer hunt something that they a preconceived notion that they have about it that just isn't true you run into that when a guest comes in and you know they're wanting to do it a certain way like no that's not really how we do it is something that keeps popping up over and over um trying to think not just because social media and TV is out there so much now, everybody thinks they always have to like what we were just talking about. You always got to chase the bugles or you always got to spot and stalk the mule there. You know, there's, there's different tactics and be open to every tactic, mm-hmm. you know, just like these guys, you guys always are nailing down on different tactics. You got to use your arsenal, you know? So if you're going out with, I'm only going to spot and stalk, or I'm only going to chase bugles, that's going to sometimes limit your opportunity yeah, for success. Yeah. Speaking of limited success, how huh. about the wildlife word? <laughs> <laughs> it's brought to you by Muddy Outdoors, home of the highest quality products for serious hunters. You know, one of the fun things for me to do is to go to the Muddy Outdoors website and just scroll through all the accessories that they have. I want this, this. If you were my wife, you'd just go ahead and buy it all. Like Amazon <laughs> style. We'd be getting packages to house that I didn't know we ordered. Look at the credit card and think, what's this? I tend to get a lot of those at my house. Yes. Also, <laughs> not for me. Uh, today's wildlife word is scarification. So scarification is the A, weakening of a seed coat that encourages germination. Or B, the experience of anyone who watches The View. <laughs> C, the process by which deer antlers form after an injury, or D, both A and B. 
Guests always go first. Big A. I just I guess on every test that I take, and I always guess A because my my name starts with A. So I'm gonna go with A. <laughs> I solid. like that. No, that's solid reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. Right. As, One out of four times. You're as, right. as a Tim, I'm screwed. <laughs> if I follow that, I have D in my last name, so I'm gonna go with well, D. You know. <laughs> I was gonna say A, but I'm gonna go with Austin's theory and go with D <laughs> just for the hell of it. You guys are both right. Congratulations. Hey. Ew. Ew. So. Um, so this happens a lot. <laughs> this happens a lot when deer ingest mature seed, like clover seed, when they when they when they digest it, it mechanically removes and, and like literally scars the seed coat, and it makes it more likely that seed will germinate once they excrete it. Hmm. Interesting. Get in my belly. And, in my belly. And if you watch the view, you will be scarred also yes. psychologically. Yes. Because that show sucks. <laughs> hey, before we leave, we got we got to get the lowdown. So, how did you and Taylor meet? Well, it's pretty simple, really. She came on a antelope hunt. I was actually not supposed to be with her guy. We were with Mossy Oak. That's who was in camp that week, and I was supposed to be with Neil. Well, he was still filming his father, Toxie. And he could not hunt until he was done. So I was just kind of sitting around and I was like, hey, dad, there's a cute girl without a guide over there that needs the antelope hunt. I have an antelope hunt in a couple of years. We might as well give it a try, right? And uh, we hunted for a couple of days together. And that was Taylor? That was Taylor. <laughs> Smart. Obviously. <laughs> well, not. How'd you figure that oh, out? Oh, no. I just said something I shouldn't have <laughs> ruined. No. And uh, it was funny because I was I was very nervous. I didn't want to step across the line. I, I didn't want to dis disrespect dad or our partners. You know, that Toxie. was... Toxie. Toxie. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to step on any toes. And she would just sit in my passenger seat and stare at my long flowing locks and just wow. was at smiling. Point, he had really long blonde hair. Mm. And like uh, point break. Yes. Yeah. He could have been a little that. better. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we just, we hit it off. We got along. We both loved the outdoors. We were having fun hunting and one thing led to another. And now we're sitting here yeah. doing a podcast together. <laughs> it all leads to this. There you go. How many years ago was that? That was five years ago, September of 2015. Wow. So what was the conversation like when you guys decided where, you would live at, you know, obviously she's from the Midwest, you're out West. Like, what was that conversation like? It was basically, I can't move with my job. I have to be in Utah. You know, my job is manual labor. I got to physically be there. Mm -hmm. She was more or less, she could do a lot of her stuff on the internet or on her computer. And so that was kind of just, mm -hmm. this is what has to happen to make it work for now. And she's loves it. She loves Utah, but you never know. We might be back to the Midwest. Never know. Tease. So Super tease. This guy just passed his uh, real estate exam. So that's a new venture for you, right? Out yep. there, you're going to be a, a licensed uh, real estate guy out in the, the state of Utah, correct? Yep, correct. Yep. So we just started that and uh, looking forward to it. I just got my first six listings. So Really? Yep. <laughs> Hit the ground running. Hit I mean, you just running. passed the test. Yep. Here we go. Let's do this. That's awesome. So it's a, it's a, you, Whitetail Properties is, is who you're working for. So that's new for them out there in that state, yep. right? They just became a broker in the city of Utah this past summer, first part of the fall. Yeah. So pretty cool. What does cool. Whitetail look like out there? 
non-existent. <laughs> we yeah, don't have white tails in yeah, Utah. Mule deer is interesting. Mule deer, elk, white tail are all the same. I just told you they're the same. That's right. I didn't take notes. Any openings that. down in Texas? On no your... openings. Man. Nope, we're booked. Good deal. Things are good. Congrats. That's Thank good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. Well, if there ever is an opening, where can people find you? Instagram. That's probably the easiest place to find mine or Taylor's Instagram. Just reach out to us there and, and we can go from that point. All right. Well, anything else to add before we depart? I have nothing else to say. All righty. So I'm not gonna. All right. Well, perfect. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you guys. Thanks for taking Taylor and taking her out to Utah for us. I'm kidding. I'm Hey-o. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Shots yeah, fired. Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> so this is episode 199. Stay tuned next week for episode 200. You want to punch me right now, but you won't. <laughs> right in the knee. Right in the nose. All right. <laughs> Until next time. Appreciate you watching. Peace out. DeerCast is giving you the chance to hunt with Mark and Terry Drury. Head over to DeerCast.com to enter.